start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Jay Allen Show. Hopefully everything is good and grand in your neck of the woods. I think it's funny that every time we start off the show, I never know where to go. 333 episodes in and I still kind of contemplate on where to start off every time that we get this thing started. Well, let me not babble too much and let's start getting into what's going on today. Today, I have the opportunity, after a long period of time, to sit down with Jim Pozel, you know, the host of Safety Wars. We sit down, we talk about his career, what he has going on, his points of view on life, on how things are going at the moment, and of course, we talk about his show, Safety Wars. Now, don't get me wrong, Pozel's been here for quite a bit, and this is the first time that we get to sit down together, at least behind the microphone, for the world to hear about what exactly we have going on. So sit back, relax, and take a listen to this conversation between Jim Pozels and yours truly here on The Jay Allen Show. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. So let's go through this. Let's start talking because here's the thing. I want to tell you, number one, I owe you an apology. This is what we're going to start off with. So I'm going to let everybody know this. Because I normally start people off on the station and I normally interview them at some point. And you've been on here now and we have never sat down and done this officially on the actual air. So that's kind of, so I I need to apologize starting off right away. Well, uh, in your defense, you had mentioned it a long time ago and the schedule does not allow it. Uh, Why? You uh, can get up at four o'clock in the morning and come and hang out with me before I I start getting ready for the other stuff. Well, I guess I could, but uh, (laughs) that would be a really interesting interview for us. (laughs) Yeah, it would definitely make it an interesting time. So, for for those people that don't that might not know, Jim Poles will actually host that the show Safety Wars here on the station. But some people might not know some of the other portions of your background. And that's what I really wanted to get into with you today. How did this all start? I mean, how did you decide, hey, this is the world I want to get into? Because this is not normally somebody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, safety is the way. Well, uh, it's funny you should mention that uh, because four days ago, I celebrated, if you want to call it a celebration, 29 years in the industry. Holy, holy. Yeah, it started out uh, in 1992. I graduated from Richard Stockton University. And I had a background in environmental studies with 
and geotechnical related work. Uh, soil sampling, water sampling, uh, monitoring well installation, things of that nature. So about 13 months into it, there was a layoff at the company. There was a uh, contract was lost. And uh, I was sitting around for about an hour, uh, not an hour, a, a month. And uh, I was going to say an hour. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, about a month I'm sitting around and uh, no, sending out. No, back then we had paper resumes. We had mm-hmm. things of that nature. So making phone calls, cold calls, this, that, the other thing. And I get a phone call from a friend in from college and her boyfriend uh, his name's John Arnosky. He uh, said, you know, Jim, you know how to run air sampling equipment and air monitoring equipment? I said, yeah. He said, have you ever done any health and safety work? And I said, well, I didn't write to know inventories. My old employer, that was uh, maybe 15, 20% of the time where you're doing inventories of school districts. We got a whole bunch of school district contracts. And then you try to match up the MSDSs. Remember, pre-internet days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So you had fax machines, you had phones, and you had snail mail. And it was just a behemoth task. So uh, what ends up happening, he says, well, why don't you come down, uh, talk to my boss. Uh, if you like it, well, stick with it. If you don't like it, then that, you know, that's one thing you know you know you don't like. You're 22 years old. Who cares? Right? Take a chance on it. So uh, we ended up staying there for now for 29 years in the industry and we mostly i came up through the environmental consulting field doing hazmat work hazardous waste site operations and emergency response and then eventually i was about six and a half years later i was hired on with an engineering firm and i stayed there for six and a half years and then i left the engineering firm and started with a bunch of other folks about 2004. Yeah, but you're going to give me your you're going to give me your whole resume before you let me even now ask questions. So hang on, hang on. Let's not get too far. Yeah. So, but, but what made you want to stay around? What did you like about it at the time? Didn't like anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> so not much has changed in 29 years. Yeah, uh, Sam Goodman says you find out safety sucks. Right? <laughs> very true. And if you're a consultant with no authority, very little leadership skills i'm i mean i did a complete personality change from then until now really and uh very very it's very difficult but what happened was uh what made up for everything was the i got a lot of time off uh between projects and a lot of overtime a lot of per diem and you know that it was and i got to see a lot of places i got to be I got to go all over the country, basically, and actually stay there for three or four months at a clip, sometimes longer, and got to know people. So I got to see things that I probably would not have seen had I gotten involved in manufacturing or anything else. So at this point, are you already with your wife or not yet? No, not yet. That was uh, 2009, September oh, okay. 2009. Okay, so, so there's so there's a big gap in there because I was going to say if you're gone months at a at a time, I don't. You're going to have to tell me the the secret sauce here because that I that I still don't understand. Well, unfortunately, most of the people in our situation that did that type of work, multiple divorces, or they never get married. It's just uh, goes along with it. I, uh, as you know, my extended family 
is involved in environmental uh, consulting, environmental cleanups, and they, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult on the family at times. I mean, and that's, a, and that's kind of one of those weird things that comes about with this industry, especially because there's a lot of safety professionals that are out there that travel. Um, and it becomes that weird clip where you go, okay, I can travel and make money or I can stay home and try to do something else. And it's kind of the mixture of the two of which one do you kind of to look at? Because I'll tell you, I know a lot of people that were in South Dakota that were helping out on from the safety standpoint when the oil fields out there mm-hmm. helping out and so on. And then it becomes one of those things. Well, it's put a significant strain on my marriage, but I'm also making quite a bit more money than what I would normally be making in any other state. Uh, one of my wife's former coworkers got involved in that situation uh, where they, uh, where their spouse ended up getting a job on the oil uh, fields. They bought a house, got all set up. And then six months later, everything went bust. So, uh, you know, it's a, a big strain. It's not for the faint of hearted, but uh, no, I've seen it work, but you need a very understanding spouse uh, who's able to trust you and you're able to trust them. No, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. I mean, the whole trust thing, of course, we can talk about it all the time. The other portion about this, though, is are you okay with saying, okay, I'll see you once every other weekend or once a month if you're even able to do that? I almost look at it, you almost have to look at it from a military standpoint. If you're going to commit to being gone for a long period of time, are you going to be okay with that kind of relationship? Uh, big thing. I mean, for when I sat down and we decided to have a family, uh, we knew that this traveling thing would be over. Where I'll go out now for maybe a week maybe two weeks at the absolute max. And my wife is the same way. She travels. Now she's going to start traveling again, right? Now that COVID is over. Hold on. Let's kind of rephrase that. Depending on what part of the country you're in. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, it's over. I don't know if we want to get into that. We can, because it's, it's an interesting conversation, but let's not get into it yet. But we will, we'll, we'll, we'll redirect here in a moment. So I, uh, extremely difficult, Jay. It's uh, for uh, I don't know anyone who is does who has a happy marriage. To be honest with you, in the long term, I mean, let's. I was going to say, if you just said that you don't know anybody who has a happy marriage, we're probably going to be having some problems here if we if we continue talking. Right. Well, <laughs> it's like this: you're the safety guy. Now, and I try to get along with everybody. I really do. Now, regardless of what happens on safety wars. I get, I try to get along with everyone. I'm making an effort to make, get along with everyone. And what happens is I become like the big brother, especially since I've gotten older. I'm the big brother to a lot of these folks. They view me as that. They come in and uh, they're like, Jim, I have this problem. Jim, I've been cheating on my wife and I got someone else pregnant. That's a very common one. I'm Hold on. This, this is a very common conversation that people have with you? Yeah, at least three or four times a year. Oh, my, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. Yeah. Sorry for, for interrupting. Yeah, and it usually it's like, well, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a life coach here. Mm-hmm. And I think you should get that straightened out. Uh, but it's nice to have that type of relationship with the workforce because uh, with what we do with safety, you know, if they're willing to share that with me, they're more likely to comply and come to you with safety issues and work with them on all the other problems. 
problems we had. Hold on, that's such a huge pickle. I mean, you just kind of glanced over that like that was nothing. I mean, I I, th- I think about this kind of in a weird scenario. So, what happens if you know the spouse and this person is confessed? Know the spouse. Okay, well that's really hard work. I never ever w- know the spouse. Okay, uh, and, and that hasn't happened, but it, you know that. No, unwanted pregnancies, and it's always the man, and the women don't come to me with this. It's always the man. Well, probably a good... Oh, wow. Uh, this definitely took a different choice than what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, that. Uh, no. You name the type of advice that someone's going to ask, who well, you we would ask to a, an older adult, a big brother, for lack of a better word, and I've mm-hmm. gotten that on the jobs. You name it, I've gotten it. Well, that's so interesting that people are willing to open up to you in that particular fashion. Now, what do you think it is about your personality that attracts this? I don't know. I can't. Tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you. People share things with me that they probably shouldn't share with me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's the nature of the beast where you have to you have to be able to people have to be able to trust you uh, with things. Uh, no. Just the way I am, I, I'm. I get the people get the impression that I'm trustworthy for some reason. They come to me with these issues, and uh, a lot of times, I, it's the stories. They hear me share the stories. I was going to say, have they not heard safety wars? I mean, they're they're trusting you after listening to that. <laughs> uh, let me put it. I had this one coworker, former coworker of mine. Uh, she's moved on in the oil industry. She texts me and she says, Jimmy, I know who you're talking about in every one of these stories. And I, and I said, well, they're not all from your facility, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, it's, I don't, I don't know. I, I used to not be this way. Uh, But what happens is you have to, uh, my first uh, boss is by the name of uh, Jeff Olcott. When I got into the safety industry, uh, he passed away a, a while back. He said, Jim, you got to go in there and you're just going to say, you look, you don't care what people think about you. If you worry about what people think about you, you're not going to get anywhere because that used to be a big deal with me was worrying about what anyone else is going to think. And at a certain point, no, uh, you, you just have to not care about it. the way that I deal with it is this, uh, why should I care about what whoever it is is thinking about me? I don't think that they go home worrying about what Jim Polzel thinks about them. Okay. Right? Does that make sense to you, Jay? No, no, no it, it, it does make sense, but I don't know. We, we kind of live in, a, in an interesting time when it comes to all that. Because right. I know there's, there's a lot of people out there that say, I don't care what others think about me. Um, there's other people that will, that's, that's their lifeline in regards of what others um, think about, but because of where you're at, and let me kind of just kind of give a breakdown because you are in a consulting and because you actually host a program where you have to be likable to an extent, right? Doesn't that kind of, it doesn't play any kind of factor to you. Yeah. I have to be likable. Yeah. And you know, it's the likability factor, I guess, but I say things very boldly. Since mm-hmm. I say things boldly, I realize that as a consultant, where with my customer base, they're paying me to give them an honest opinion. They're not paying me to give them a line of baloney. Right. Look at you being PG. <laughs> Look at you being PG. Uh, 
<laughs> I try to be PG. All right. Uh, not the rated R. This is the Jay Allen show. This is not the rated R. We can rate it whatever we want. Yeah. But, you know, that's... I. You have to be likable with people. Uh, you have to get along with them. Uh, with them. Uh, and there, there's always the phrase, the hackneyed phrase, uh, no, make friends and influence people. Right. It's, uh, it's leadership. That's uh, my big theme in everything is leadership. What is leadership? Uh, I talk about it on the podcast uh, this week. Um, I've had some work done on the house. I haven't been able to, uh, I've had workmen over, so I haven't been able to record anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, as leadership, how do you influence people? Become a person of influence. Identify the leadership in the workforce. So one of my my things is, let's say you have a workforce of 30 or 40 people. You don't want to approach 30 or 40 people with safety. But in that collection of 30 or 40 people, there are leaders in there. It could be a like a foreman or a boss. Right, that's a leader. That's your natural leader. But I find that those are not necessarily the leaders. It could be the senior person on the crew. Uh, it could be the uh, a veteran would be another good one. Uh, it could be someone who speaks the best English. It could be someone who speaks the worst English. That may sound opposite. Uh, maybe it may be uh, someone who went to college. Maybe the guy who never went to college or the girl that never went to college. You have to be able to identify who those leaders are in that. If you can influence them, now all of a sudden you want that from 30 people, maybe down to two or three people. But that's a skill that you developed at some point. So when did you start recognizing how important this was to be able to move forward with? Too late, because- in, my, too late in my career. Way too late. Uh one. Well, 29, 29 years in, when do you start thinking that this is too late? And if you tell me it, you tell me two years in, I can understand that. But what are we realistically talking? 13. Okay. Roughly about third. And you looked at me like, oh, you're shocked. 13 years in. I did not have a lot of very good mentors in a lot of areas of my life. Uh, I don't know how deep you want to go in here, but I. We can go as deep as you want. I mean, remember, this is this is all about you. So I always tell people, whatever you want to tell me, I'm willing to share. So I was uh, born with a cleft lip, bilateral cleft lip, cleft palate. You could go, anyone could Google that, see the pictures uh, of other uh, kids with that. Bullied, put down, beaten down, psychologically abused, not by family members, but by mm-hmm. people outside the family. I have a very supportive family. Right, people outside the family. Uh, in New Jersey, where I grew up, Central Jersey, a lot of the stuff that was done to me was uh, would probably be illegal today under the anti-bullying laws in uh, schools. Uh, went to I had uh, went to a religious school from seventh uh, grade and eighth grade, our Redeemer Lutheran School. I know you hate name dropping, but Brittany Murphy, the actress, is. Uh-huh. Uh, a graduate of there. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh, and then I went. How do you know that I hate the name dropping? Have I said this before? I've said that about <laughs> 10 times in the last month. Uh, <laughs> well, sounds like something I would say. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I went to uh, a Catholic high school, St. Joe's Medutchen, and I had a very strict upbringing in academically and outside of that. My parents, my mother is a Polish immigrant. Uh, my father is second generation immigrant from Germany. I had like the Eastern European Prussian upbringing, what I, what I classify. 
as very strict, very this, very uh, no leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Now we are the parents. We are the we are the teachers. You will do as we say. X, Y, and Z. Blah blah blah. Very little freedom in that. So, what do you think happens now that I go to college and this and that has some transition issues like most kids have, and then you go into the real world and you get thrusted. You go into safety as a career. Now you have almost no people skills, almost no leadership skills, no nothing. You're going to have a rough time. I had a rough time. And what happened was they uh, eventually you're sitting in a hotel room in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, actually Winchester, Kentucky. And you're like, what the hell am I doing here? And that's when I started to develop a lot of different skills through reading. You're on the road. Remember, pre-internet days uh, Mm -hmm. this was. So I've read tons and tons and tons of books. But this is what the problem is. You cannot change horse in midstream. So at the end of the project I'm on, now you go to a new project, new people. 99% of the time, new people. Now you could start to implement some of the things that you learned at your previous project into it. And you slowly build on and on and on. It's a process. It takes years. And uh, I got involved in uh, 2000 in politics. And politics is all about likability. It's all about everything. So I was working on some uh, campaigns, high-level campaigns. I won't go into what they were. And uh, 2009, I decided, well, look, I have all this not accumulated knowledge of here. Now I want to go in and I want to start applying it. So I ran for office. I ran for New Jersey Assembly in uh, 2009. and just from talking to people, doing it on and on and on every day, every day. I knocked on something like 25,000 uh, doors and talked, mm-hmm. which was unheard of. It's unheard of today. It was unheard of then also. So you have to go and you need to learn to talk and you develop your skill. Same thing with safety training. I'm an outreach trainer in all four disciplines, right? Uh, somebody, uh, I was on a site in Pennsylvania at uh, Santa Fe Pasteur in Swiftwater, where they, uh, the construction manager had to get, uh, that was their policy that the construction manager gives safety training, orientation training. He says after about six months, hey, I can't do this every day. Jimmy, are you interested in it? Absolutely. And then it was assumed safety training again and again and again. Before you know it, you can find out what works and what doesn't work. And you just try to build on that. And it's just... You have to set goals. You have to build on things, doing things consistently. And then, then you improve. There's no other way of doing this. I was a slow. I Basically, at 21, I had the maturity when I graduated college the first time. I had the maturity of maybe a 14 or 15-year-old. Well, let me backtrack and, real quick because you, know, you gave a lot of information here. And, and I want to make sure that I have a, a clear understanding. You said that you were bullied because of the cleft palate when you were younger yes. now. And you said that you had a tough upbringing because parents are parents and the way that it was instructed based on, on background and culture, which right. I understand. Right. Now, were you able to discuss the bullying aspect inside of your home? Nobody, or really, was, uh, nobody really, you know, you just deal with it. Okay. It's just one of those things. It's 1970s and eighties. 
You just deal with it mm-hmm. and you internalize a lot of it. I know I learned eventually what happens is it gets better. Right? You get for a group of core people that you deal with, right? Four or five people click for lack of a better word. Uh, with me, it was in track and field. I had a, my track and field click. That's what, what we handed. We were very successful. Even today, uh, we have a, uh, uh, a text message group that have all of the track and field people, right? So we don't go on Facebook. We don't go, we just keep the text message group. Uh, no, and uh, you have a core group of people that you need to support yourself. Some of them, some of us were not misfits like me, like, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm definitely a misfit. So I understand. What you're... Were, you know, and that's what we kept with. But what you don't realize is this. And I, I didn't know about this uh, until my 25th reunion, because I was always doing the right thing as far as being consistent, working hard and everything else there. I found out that I saved the life of a classmate. Oh, very nice. Did not even know that. Did not even know this. And, uh, I can't really uh, uh, describe anything because he's a public figure and right now. And uh, he says, comes up to my wife. I haven't seen him in 25 years since graduation day. And he says, comes up to my wife. And he says, Deb, you're Debbie. He said, let me explain to you what kind of man you married. He said, I was going through a rough time in high school. You're, and I, I, it's one of those things. I don't even remember doing this. He said, I had a conversation with your husband and because of that conversation and he told me to just forget about it, put your nose to the grindstone and continue to work. I didn't commit suicide. So one, one thing I didn't realize, yeah, you hear this and you don't realize it until this, and this is a true story. Uh, my mother, the only one in the media for lack of a better word that was, uh, had, the same issues I did, who was successful, was Stacy Keach, the actor, right? Famous vo- actor, all different movies, especially for his voice. And I had horrible, my speech therapy was, I went to uh, like nine years of speech therapy. You couldn't even understand me. It's a miracle that I'm, we're even having this conversation. That's how bad it was. And my mother would say to me, hey, look, Stacy Keach did it. You could do it. So I, we got married, um, Debbie and I get married. We're in a, uh, a local restaurant, burger place that we always used to go to. Uh, and uh, at this time, I had been starting to get pretty successful in the business and everything. Things were starting to move along. We had gotten married. She was pregnant with our first child. And uh, we were celebrating something professional, something I, I reached a milestone. And woman comes up to me. She's a waitress. And she says, let me explain to you. I'm, I'm seeing, oh, no, we knew her for going to the restaurant. My son was just born with cleft lip, cleft palate three weeks ago. I was in complete and total uh, destroyed until I came in here one day. I saw your wife is pregnant. You have a normal life. Because you did, I have all the confidence in the woman. My son will be able to accomplish something. And that is what I finally learned the lesson, I guess. You have to, you don't know how you're impacting people through everything we do. And here you go. Here you have one. I impacted someone. 
Well, I mean, you impacted two people. I mean, so far, that at least that came up to you and said something about it. But it's interesting on how we don't notice how those impacts are. You're going to a restaurant. You're living everyday life ever so frequently going to this restaurant. This lady sees you. Then you have this classmate that you haven't spoken to in 25 years. And I mean, I would imagine any time that anybody words, you want to know what kind of man you married has to be a scary thought just for a half a moment before they (laughs) like, what did I do? What did I do in high school? Uh, But, but definitely then he goes into this and says, Hey, listen, this is what, what you've done. But when you take a look at this and you kind of go through all your different, all your different answers so far, you said that when you came out of college as well, you didn't have the, you had the maturity of a 14, 15 year old. So how did you see this change? How did you see that? Because if we're talking 14, 15 at college, you have to almost look at what was the impact then at the age of high school, if you're already giving somebody kind of some knowledge base or you're turning around and telling them, hey, put your put your nose to the ground and kind of move forward unknowingly of what the person's going through. So you have a maturity level of who knows what at the time. And then all of a sudden you're moving forward. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here, but you right. move way too quick. So I can't even keep up with you. Yeah, well, what, well it's, it's like this. Children come out with the darndest things sometimes. I have two children of my own. Hold on. Isn't that an old Bill Cosby show? I don't know if that's a reference we want to make. No, I'm kidding. I'm no, no, kidding. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Yeah. But anyway, they, uh, they say the strangest <laughs> things at the right time. Wait. So, for example, you, you don't think your children listen to you on the radio or on conference calls or whatever. <laughs> My wife is uh, bringing in some packages in a plastic bag about a year ago. My son was eight at the time. And it, uh, something leaked in the bag, right? Normal. And it, she's like, I don't get it. it the plastic, it, it leaked, but it's in a plastic bag and it's leaking on the ground. That's frustrating. You know what he says to her? He says, Mom, don't you understand? There's a couple of different ways for liquids to get through plastic. It's it's degradation, permeation, and penetration. In this case, <laughs> you're dealing with penetration because it's going through, uh, because it takes a while for the liquid to get from one side, uh, on permeation, he said, uh, get from one side to the other. Where does that come from, an eight-year-old? Uh, his dad. Yeah. <laughs> he says, you're listening to your dad too much. Well, that that could be a good thing. Uh, yeah, just depending on, years, <laughs> and I torment him because at three years of age, he was talking about the hierarchy of controls, and I have it on video. So oh, I'll wow. release it at Christmas time. <laughs> just make sure you save that for a later date when yeah. when you start to, when you want to actually show him something. Be like, I got the career path for you. Here you go. Yeah. So as you've been through this and you've looked at this and you're able to be able to change the things, even though you said you really didn't have strong mentors. How did you make this work for you? Because based on what you're saying, you didn't have a schematic. You didn't have a plan. You kind of fell into it to some extent. You did 20, you've done 29 years so far. You're not going anywhere anytime soon, but based on like some of the, the side conversations we've right. had. So how have you made this work? Trial and error. But I mean, is it trial and error, trial, error and adaptability? Because you say that you're adaptable to the places that you've been. You've learned one thing in one place. You've taken it to the next. You adapted there. So not trying to be insulting, but is it almost character playing? Because you're adapting to every time that you go somewhere new. I don't know what it is for sure. Okay. I just know that you have to have a goal and you have to work towards it. Okay. And you have to go and be introspective. Uh, what? what this was one of the things, right? 
So being bullied when you're that young, you're not good enough for anything. It's, just, you, get a, you get a complex in your head, mm -hmm. right? So professionally, what do we end up doing? Right. Well, Jim, you don't have the knowledge for this, so you're not going to advance. Jim, you're not blah, 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 going on and on. So I'm sitting out on a job uh, one day. This is up in uh, Binghamton, New York. And one of the guys says, from the, another safety professional, says, uh, a couple of years older, says to me, uh, Jimmy, uh, what, what, are you, uh, what are you doing here? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, how old are you? I said, I'm 26 years old. He says, why aren't you in graduate school? I said, well, I'm, my grades were not that great in undergrad. He said, baloney, you have four years under your belt. You can go, into, go to graduate school. Mm -hmm. go, go to graduate school. So I went to NJIT uh, for my uh, uh, graduate work. And he said, this is what you do. You go in for continuing ed certificate. Make sure you get A's and B's in that continuing ed program. Then apply for regular graduate school and see where it goes. Because if you can prove that you can do the work, chances are, you can't guarantee it, but chances are they'll let you into grad school. So that's what I did. I was commuting from Binghamton to New York to Newark, New Jersey, twice a week for about three months. My boss said, Jimmy, you're serious. He said, okay, we're going to put you on a job in the metro New York City area. You'll make it to grad school. And then before long, you start to accumulate things. Then yeah, what else did you hear? You hear, well, you're, well all you got is a master's degree. You're, you don't, you're not good enough. And before you know it, I started going into, uh, and I no, I completed at the end of this process, not to drag it out, uh, I completed, I went to uh, Rutgers University for all the continuing education programs, their certificate programs, the OSHA outreach stuff. I took pretty much everything but three classes. So why, why did you leave the three classes? I mean, if you took pretty much everything else. So before you yeah. continue though, and answer that question, why did you decide to go into environmental policy and studies? Why was that the I was decision? I was in politics at the time. Okay. And, uh, a lot of that uh, had to do, uh, you no, know, it's philosophy, legal stuff, and but uh, they allow you to take very technical courses. So I had graduate level chemistry, for example, and I like. I, I'm a conversationalist. If you haven't noticed, I like. Not at all. <laughs> if you know, I never like. You know. I, I could do the technical stuff. And what was funny was uh, I went into one class with, uh, I, I said, you know, I need an easy class. So I retook the 40-hour Haswoffer class uh, uh, from the summer school. And the professor says, uh, Jim, he calls me in after, what the hell are you doing here? You're a policy guy. I never get policy guys in here. I said, well, I told him what he did. He's, and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to be out on this day, this day, this day, and this day. You're going to teach the class. Very nice. So, so so did you decide to take tests on those days too? That way you could grade it? No, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. Yeah. And what's funny is that he uh, eventually, I, uh, he works for me now. So after he retired. So, oh, uh, you know, whenever I need a toxicologist, I give him a call. So let me ask you a question about the schooling portion. So you finish, you get your master's before you go into Rutgers, you go back to, I mean, you're, are you still working at the same place that you were working at at the time? Yeah. Or I was, okay. I, I still work there. And okay. uh, I was on a project in Northern California after I graduated. And 
the only opportunity that they had for me was Northern California. Remember, I what, had, but, but what do they tell you once you get your degree? That's what I'm kind of intrigued by because they're like, hey, nice. go do, go do the, that was it. Yeah, that's, that's nice. nice. And make sure and they also paid for it. They said, just make oh. sure you pay, you pay, uh, you pay us back. Oh, so they didn't actually require you to say some kind of amount of time then? No. Uh, yeah, they did. Oh, okay. I, so you had to pay them back and say a certain amount of time? Wow, that's that's encourageable. Yeah, so uh, more to the story than that. I don't want to gloss over it, but I don't feel like ending up in court. So oh, okay. Gloss over it. So uh, we'll be back right after this. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, uh, basically, the only opportunity was Northern California. My parents okay. were getting older. Again, we went into it at the beginning of this. I wanted to get married, have kids, have a family. You cannot do that when you're mobile for months and months and months at a time. Remember, I had a lot of really interesting jobs. Uh, one of them is was the anthrax cleanups for NBC and CBS. I was the on-site supervisor for those cleanups. I worked with the Centers for Disease Control and NBC uh, and CBS for that. Uh, I had uh, another big one, uh, Grand Street Mercury Cleanup in Hoboken, New Jersey, where we did uh, a bunch of artists, bought an old uh, mercury, manuf- mercury vapor lamp manufacturing plant, and they started ripping up floorboards. This is on the public record, so it was on 60 Minutes. They started ripping up floorboards, and there's puddles of mercury uh, underneath the floorboards. We got to handle that for six years. Uh Gulf oil spill cleanup, same deal. Uh, well, I, I trained 2,100 people there. That was 2010, a little bit later. I've had some very interesting and high-level jobs that people would, you know, people might kill for to get. But again, it's not your own deal uh, with that. And running your own consulting business, it's your own deal. You get to do everything every day. But well, that, it, is, it, it, you get to do everything every day, you know? But this is going to be the interesting portion because here's the thing. You keep on, you reference at the very beginning right. that you didn't really have somebody that was able to mentor you. So how do these people find you? How do they come about and able to locate you? Because you are talking, I mean, anytime you mentioned CBS, NBC, some of these larger jobs that you're doing, how are people able to locate you? I mean, like, what is the tie-in? It's not like your name starts with the letter A where you'd be the first person in the phone book. Right. So uh, that's <laughs> uh, basically... Uh, General Electric, who owned NBC at the time, uh, they were contracted. They had the company I was working for. They were contracted with that company to do environmental consulting. And they literally just uh, uh, looked on their thing, who's our approved contractor? And it was just, we were the approved contractor for General Electric. We just went in to do it. It was just very, I don't know what to tell you. It's the right time, right place. No sort of thing. Uh, even okay. today, I, I get a lot of very good projects because I have, a, it's all oral. Hey, who do you know? Uh, well, well, I know this guy, Jim, he'll do anything. Right. Sort of. <laughs> so do you really think that, that a lot of our industry then is related to how you build the network? It's is that network, what you have to be agreeable to work with them and, uh, you have to be willing to work with people. No, uh, don't come down as, like you say, the safety dictator. The safety mm-hmm. dictators don't last too long if you're going to be a safety dictator. Uh, you're going to have menial jobs. You're not going to get A-level jobs with things. 
you're going, but you have to get to learn leadership skills and try to work with people. And before you know it, uh, it's just a network sort of thing. Who do you know? Uh, my name continuously comes up with who do you know? Oh, Jim will handle this. But the thing is, I turn back a lot of work too. That's why I went into this consulting business. If you could show that you are very effective at dealing with problems, what what kind of what what kind of work do you think you're going to get, Jay? If you're effective with dealing with problems, you're going to get all kinds of work because most people will want to interact with you because of that. But you get bigger and bigger problems, right? And what happens is you don't have the authority. You the authority to do the job, right? A lot of times the authority or the resources to do the job. You're a consultant. You come in. You don't have that authority. You don't have the authority to discipline people. You don't have the authority to impact them um, as far as pay is concerned. You don't have the authority that any other person maybe in your situation would have to actually manage people. So you go into, hey, I know, uh, hey, Jim's six foot four, 250 pounds. Let's deal. We have a problem with this employee. Let's get a bigger person than him out there or the same size person as him. And now all of a sudden you become a human resources person. Why? Because they don't want to manage their own people. All right. And it actually is in my contracts. Now I'll give you a little, I'll, I'll spread this to the world, right? I have to have on there what my specific authority is on a project, even for a training class that I have the authority. If someone gives me a problem, to dismiss them from the training class. Have I had to do that? Only seven times in 30 years. All right. Uh, but, you know, you have no authority with these people and they, they give you their problems. Now, well, now you have to manage their problems for them with the with these individuals when in reality, that probably human resources should be handling some of these issues. We're talking sexual harassment, uh, overall harassment, uh, lying, uh, drug use, you name it. These aren't safety issues per se. These are human resource issues. But this is, does this also tie in because of issues related to unions? Is that part of the reason why you have that? This is union and non-union. Okay. In my experience, equal. Uh, it's equal. Uh, the unions, it's like this, union versus non-union. A union person will normally be trained and know what to do. Getting them to doing it is another thing. Problem with a non-union is usually not trained, usually not trained and you know, um, may or may not wear at least an ad hoc type of non-formal training system for regardless of the trade. Now you have to train them in safety and train them in maybe their regular job. And then you could, then you have someone to work with. It's a much harder thing to do, a much more complex thing to do. My no, definitely. Even the description sounded pretty complex if we're really going to be getting into it right now. Uh, well, that's basically the description. <laughs> Union guys know what to do. Getting them to do it, is, uh, they have a problem. The other group doesn't know what they're doing or anything else a lot of times. Not not all the time, but a lot of times. So. so so as we're looking at this and you're thinking about the retrospect of your career to date, because I just want to make sure that we're all aware you're not retiring anytime soon. No way. Um, what do you 
what are you still looking at as some of the biggest gaps that are out there within our industry? Like, what do you take a look at and said, we, over the 29 years that I've been here, we still haven't been able to resolve X. Biggest one, you're going to be surprised. All right. You're going to be, I, I might even be able to surprise Jay Allen on this one. We just went through it for the last 18 months. COVID. Our biggest issue is this. Do you think, this was my observation. I'm sure other people have other equally valid uh, observations. Every night on the news, did you ever see a certified industrial hygienist, certified safety professional, certified hazardous material manager, or any one of the other 297 other uh, safety credentials out there explaining how to use respirators? No. That's where the problem is. 2003, I left corporate America, one of, and I was involved in politics One of the, since 2000. One of the things that I made my mission for those 10 years or so was to explain to people, high-level people in this government, all right, high-level people in the state government of New Jersey, how we are woefully unprepared for a pandemic. That was my mantra. Again, not that wasn't the only mantra, but that was my mantra. Whoever who would listen, in one ear and out the other freaking ear. In one ear and out the other ear. All right? So we had SARS in 2000. We had the anthrax. We had SARS in 2005. A couple of years later, we had another situation. When my daughter was born, we had enterovirus D68, which my daughter got as an infant, spent a week in intensive care, personally impacted. I got called up on the, uh, by the state of New Jersey uh, on the uh, Ebola situation. All right. There were indicators all through this that the CDC uh, was not able to manage it because it's one, it's not their job and other levels of government that were unprepared. And when I worked on a vaccine plant in the mid 2000s at Santa Fe Pasteur, that was all a privately funded uh, vaccine plant for the flu because there was an oncoming pandemic. All of a sudden, 2010, 2011, no pandemic. Other stuff happened. So all this stuff, right? We should have been, as an industry, as an industry, we should have been at the forefront of this whole COVID thing as far as biological safety. I went into a doctor's office and I was told, we have our experts that wrote our plan, that blah, 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 blah. I go in there. I said, if if you're experts, I mean, they antagonize me. As I got into safety wars mode. I said, if your experts wrote this plan, I would fire them on the spot with this stuff because it's absolute ludicrousy with what we're going through in here. All right. But basically, I worked for all those years. I take a little bit of, you know, may sound weird, a little bit of culpability here for the 600,000 deaths. And us, I do, because I think I could have done a better job had I been a better salesman, if I had the platform, had I availed myself. I don't know. Just one of those things. No, you don't get over it. You move on. But I feel that our industry did not do enough in this whole situation. But you say you mentioned something there where you feel culpable for, for this. 
but but what could you have done? I mean, what kind of platform do you think you would have needed to be able to get the messaging out there? I wanted to do what we're doing with Safety Wars and what you are doing right now with Safety FM. I, I wanted this done in 2005, 2006. Couldn't get any support. And I had financial issues starting the firm, you know, business, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't do it. And people had lost interest. People who were in power, they're not exactly the ones thinking about what's next. Like one of my podcasters, well, what's next? What do we need to prepare for next? That, that's not what well, this all could have been. We could have had this network back in 2005, 2006. I wanted to do it. I didn't do it. I made a decision at the beginning of this pandemic when you and I had first uh, met online, right, with this, that this this is the platform that I want. You need to have, that's what Safety Wars is about. Yeah, it's and it sounds campy and everything else, but we are fighting a war here with your safety. And if you lose that war, there are casualties with that. All right. And that's where it needs to be is leadership. This is what I want to do. Leadership. Teach leadership. Every training class I'm in, I talk about leadership. I try to be a leader towards everybody else. I try to do this stuff. I promote the station because we have, uh, what, what is it, 18 other people, 18 other podcasts other than mine? Right. Right? We. This is where we need to be is promoting leadership because I tell you what, there's going to be a next pandemic or there's going to be a next situation sometime. I would want to be, I would want to have my company and your company and the 18 other people on the network being at the forefront of this stuff here. So we could be the leaders, so we can enact change, societal change here. And that's, but guess what? Going to take a long time. You got to put, and how do you accomplish it? Nose to the grindstone, on and on and on. I figure I got about another 20 years to retirement here, right? Even though I'm the kind of guy who'll never retire, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. I mean that in a gateway too, by the no, way. No, just no. Uh, yeah, I say you got to be honest with yourself, right? This is what I want to do for the next 20 years. I've got 29 years in here. I don't know where the hell the time went, but this is what I really want to do: is provide leadership for the industry, and eventually, once we're leadership leaders in the industry, that's going to spill over into all other aspects of our lives personal, family, other organizations, what have you. And playing a victim mentality, which is what I hear a lot of the safety people do. Woe is me. I'm not getting this. This, I'm not doing better. Blah, 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 blah. Guess what? That's a loser mentality. We're not going to be able to accomplish what we want to do, which in my case, fighting and winning the safety war, whatever that is. Very interesting. I love how you worded that. I'm going to tell you, this definitely cannot be our first and last all at the same time. We're going to have to do this again at some point. I'm going to ask you one more question. Well, two more questions. I got one. You said earlier something, and I said we would get back to it. Yeah. You said you feel that COVID's already over. Yes. How did you come to that conclusion? We're, that's it's a, uh, based on the uh, 1918, 1919 flu pandemic. That uh, flu is still around. I believe it's the N1H1. Uh, strain that's still around that's ubiquitous i think COVID is going to be ubiquitous and it's here to stay uh, regardless of the vaccines and everything else may have different strains different variants 
things of that nature. But at this point, we know how to protect ourselves in a reasonable fashion. Uh, we know that, how do you define safety? The absence of problems or the presence of controls, the Todd Conklin. And I think about him every day because the street up, a couple of streets over, I have Conklin Road here, right? Easy way to think of him. <laughs> but uh, that's what it is. It's never going to go away. It's always going to be that we need to have better treatments, better management. Scary statistic yesterday, uh, something like one-third of uh, the COVID victims in this country had diabetes. All right? Scary statistic. There are things that we could do to prevent this and to manage this and everything else. As far as I'm concerned, it's over. I've gotten vaccinated. Uh, my Everyone in my family who's eligible uh, for the vaccine got vaccinated. We're going on as life as usual. Are there places that I go into that are a little bit scary? My family wears a mask. Absolutely. 100%. But uh, we can't, we have to be out there. Now that's we're able. Now, if we go through another lockdown, we go through another lockdown. If it makes sense or what I have to take precautions, but I'm all for going forward with this. Uh, now that we have procedures in place, we have vaccinations, we have everything else. What about the people that turn around and say that this is an emergency evacuation, vaccination opposed to actually a fully vetted one? What is your thought process on it, especially because you've already said that you've got them and you've actually put your family or your families went through it as well? Uh, that's their business. They don't want to get the vaccination at this point. Uh, that's their business. However, being an employer and also as a consultant, all my jobs have to go through an assessment process. What are, what, what's the risk here? And I go uh, based on the OSHA guidelines. If there is a risk of a COVID type of exposure on there, why we need to do X, Y, and Z. I think the biggest thing is, is all my projects, which are all mobile, basically, we now have enough porta-potties. We all have hand-washing stations. All the companies have uh, disinfectants. That's something that we always had a problem getting uh, two years ago. We don't have a problem getting that. So the San OSHA sanitation requirements, that's not an issue uh, here. So uh, that's basically it. I don't, I don't want to live my life in fear. I want to live it in prosperity. I want to live it happy and everything else. But let's at least be reasonable here. And the other thing is people who go and tell me this and that and that, I say, yeah, here's, go on my website. I got all my qualifications. I think I'm a little bit more qualified than you. <laughs> well, Mr. Pozo, if, if Mr. Pozo, a lot more people want to know exactly what you have going on, where can they go to find your podcast and what you're doing? We're available on uh, safetywords.com. There's a link to my podcast on Bcast, but we are all on, uh, no, we're on the Apple podcast uh, platform, Spotify, and I think around nine others. So, uh, <laughs> on the low end, nine that I know of, right? More and Jay, let me just thank you for getting involved with me and believing with me, uh, believing in me on doing this. It's really a big thing, and uh, it's just a miracle, like I said, with all the other issues I've had, and I'm actually able to do stuff like this. Well, I, I have to tell you, what you bring to the table is such a different point of view. And the way that you've approached it, I think it's so different. Um, I don't want to go into what people are like, oh, it's a it's a, it's a, a, a breath of fresh air. None of that. 
you just do it in such a different approach that I've heard it before that I think it's excellent. So Thank you. glad that you've been able to come over the medical issues. You didn't let the bullying get you down. You were able to actually do exactly what you said, put your nose to the ground and be able to move forward with the whole thing. So thanks for always being part of this network because it's important. I, I'm glad that you're here Thank and you. keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, it's for Valentine's Day, I'll share in the love story between me and my wife because that's another story. Well, like I'm saying, we have to do it again. I appreciate you coming on. So, thanks. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 440 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.